he said, um, have you considered forgiveness? And I was like, what? I mean, I was really shocked by it and really annoyed, honestly. And like, why should I do that? I'm going to hold on to this forever. Welcome to the Women in Work podcast, the show that inspires you to confidently step into your God-given calling and view your work as meaningful to the kingdom of God. I'm Courtney Moore. And I'm Missy Branch. We want to introduce you to women who, through their own unique vocations, are seeing what they do make an eternal difference. And we pray these conversations will inspire you in your own calling to honor God, to image Him to the world through your work, and to leverage your potential for His glory. Thank you so much for joining us today. Do you long to study the Bible more deeply and be better equipped to teach God's Word? That's why Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary offers a variety of flexible degree options that empower you to do just that. Through its diverse selection of certificate programs, master's degrees, and advanced degrees, Southeastern desires to equip women to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. Southeastern believes that God has commanded each of us to go and make disciples by teaching His Word and sharing the truth about Jesus Christ. Southeastern would be privileged to play a part in your growth in His Word and your training to fulfill the Great Commission in all of life. To find out more, explore degree options, or to schedule a visit, check out sebts.edu. Listeners, welcome to the show. We are so happy that you have joined us today on the Women in Work podcast. We have a very, very special guest with us today. We have Vanitha Reisner on the show. Vanitha, welcome. We're so, so happy you're here. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Yes, ma'am. I was first introduced to Vanitha through the Paul David Tripp podcast called The Connecting Podcast. And y'all, her story, you are going to be blessed today when you hear a little bit of what Vanitha has walked through and what the how the Lord has really met her in that. And so this summer when we were at the Gospel Coalition's Women's Conference, I knew I had to meet her. And Vanitha, I really just feel like you are one of these believers who are just a giant in the faith. Um, I feel like the Lord has, I don't know, it's just such an honor to, 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 for you to be on our show. Really it is. Absolutely. Wow. Thank you so much. It's funny. I feel like such a beyond ordinary person and and I am, (laughs) I mean, it's crazy. Like when you actually live your own life, you're like, yeah, I just do everyday things. I'm a very ordinary person. And my children would say, that as well. So. <laughs> well, I knew you would think that, but really and truly, like coming from um, looking at your life just from the 30,000 degree, just how the Lord has carried you through all of this, and we're going to inform our listeners, so we'll get there, but um, just a true honor. So let me got, let me tell you guys about Vanitha. She, um, currently, she writes and speaks about finding hope in suffering. Her memoir is called Walking Through Fire. And she has a devotional called The Scars That Have Shaped Me. And both of those publications encourage readers to turn to Christ in their pain. Some of her greatest joys are being a wife to Joel and a mother to Katie and Christy. And you can find her embarrassing them in Raleigh, North Carolina. (laughs) (laughs) Or you can go to her website at vanitha.com. She regularly writes for Desiring God, and she's been featured on other shows like Family Life Today, Johnny and Friends and Christianity Today. And also, I do want to mention, she has an upcoming Bible study that's produced by Lifeway. It's called Desperate for Hope, The Questions We Ask in Suffering, Loss, and Longing. And it's set to release in May of 2023. So we really look forward to that as well. Well, Vanitha, we are so happy to get to know you. Missy, 
Take it away. I know. I am. Yes, this is going to be great. This is going to be great. Well, Vanessa, before we do the interview, we start off with what we call our rapid fire questions. And that's where we just kind of ask some fun questions to get to know you. So are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. First, as a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Well, as a kid, I wanted to be a lawyer. And that was because my parents kept saying, you should be a lawyer. You argue so much. Literally. My parents would say that all the time. And so I thought, well, maybe I should be a lawyer. So that was what I was planning on doing because I loved to argue with, especially with them, but you know, in general. That's hilarious. I love that. that. (laughs) You like took them seriously in that. I like it. Yeah. I was like, okay, they know me. I guess this is my calling. Okay. So Vanita, another question we ask everyone is what was your first job? Well, my first job was filing licenses at the North Carolina Department of Revenue. So it was just like really? sitting there, like filing tax licenses. It was a real okay. Yeah, the, the time, the clock, like I would look at it. it. Seemed like two hours had gone by, and it was like five minutes. So oh that's how that job went. <laughs> Yes, I mean, (laughs) yes, no hateration on the job because it's work, but you sometimes you can get that kind of work where you're like, wow, this is not like mentally engaging necessarily. Right, right? exactly. And I was so grateful for them hiring me. I had no work experience and it was a paycheck, which is really important. Yes, absolutely. um, Yeah, but time went pretty slowly. Yes. (laughs) Okay, last question, which is my favorite question. What kind of work do you want to be doing when you're 80 years old? I would love to do what I'm doing now, actually, which is writing about God's faithfulness. Mm -hmm. I love that. Well, we've alluded to the fact that you've been through some hard things. You're writing about it. You're speaking about it. Your books are about loss and suffering. And so take us back um, a little bit to the beginning. Um, When you were born, you had a situation that really affected the rest of your life. Um, Talk us through... um, through that health diagnosis you received? Yes. So I was born in India. And when I was three months old, parents took me to the beach, came down with a very high fever of 105. So one of our neighbors was the doctor. My mom took me there because she couldn't get hold of the pediatrician. And she said, oh, she has typhoid because everybody was getting typhoid in the area. Her husband had typhoid. So she gave me medicine um, to lower my fever at 105 for a three-month-old. Um, But she gave me cortisone, which you treat for typhoid, but not for polio. She had no idea what I had. Um, And cortisone breaks down your body's immune system. So my body couldn't fight the polio at all. And within a few days, I was completely paralyzed. I was quadriplegic. And then my parents, um, my mom took me to the doctor and they said, wow, she had polio, but there's nothing we can do now. Because I was completely paralyzed, couldn't move my arms or my legs. And they said, she's probably going to die. But then they said, if she doesn't die, she will probably not even be able to sit up. Like that's, she's just going to be in bed her whole life. And yet my parents prayed for me and um, miraculously life really improved. And, you know, I've had a ton of surgeries, which I can talk about later, but um, 21 operations, learned to walk when I was seven, um, exercised every day, swimming, doing things. But I was able to to walk and live a pretty normal life as life went on, which is pretty incredible. But my early years were really, really tough in terms of oh dealing with goodness. that disability. And so you moved, though, from India at some point to the West. Right. So when, when I got the diagnosis, the doctor said to my parents, you need to leave India. Like, there's nothing we can do here. And in India, disability is seen as a curse, even among believers. Not a curse, but there's no... 
services for it. And mm-hmm. there is a sense that somebody's done something wrong here. So there's just not a lot of empathy often in, in other countries for disability. And so my dad, who was a professor actually in a university, uh, left and took a job installing telephones in London just so I could get medical care. So I had my first surgery when I was two, and then my dad got a um, a job in in, um, in Canada actually as an engineer, which is he had a degree in that. So we moved from Ind- England to Canada, and then Canada to the U.S. All with my dad's jobs, and um, had surgeries almost every place. I mean, I had uh, until I was ten years old, I probably spent half of my life in the hospital, wow. and was in a body cast for a year once and actually lived in the hospital. I lived on a, in Canada, I lived on a ward with about 12 other girls and only saw my parents who came to visit me on weekends. So it was a very, very different life. Wow. Vanitha, where, what are your thoughts of God? Like as you're living through this, like you're a little girl, you're seeing your, like part of your life is spent in a cast part of your life, you're not even with your family. What are you thinking about God in this season? Yeah. So to put it bluntly, I didn't think there was a God, but if mm-hmm. there was, I hated him. Like yeah. uh, that was where I was. Like there can't be a God yeah. because my life is so hard, but if there is, I want nothing to do with him because why would he let this happen to me? So that was right. sort of my subtext, even when people were talking to me about God, because in the hospital, people would talk to me about it. It was a Shriners hospital, so they would come and yes. different people would come. And my parents are believers. So went to Sunday school, went to church, and you know, I knew the right answers, but my heart was completely far away. Right, right. Well, during that time, I mean, I'm just imagining little Vanitha in a body cast for a year in a hospital. It's it's hard to even fathom. I mean, I have little boys right now that can't sit still for five minutes, you know, and it's, I just, it's hard to even put that into context for a child. And so, I mean, did you still, you know, you're at this point where you don't, you know, you're, you, you hate God if he even exists. I mean, could you even as a child have hopes and dreams for your future? I mean, did you even have dreams? What did you, as a child, what, what did you think? Okay. When I'm out of here, this is what I want to do for work. This is what I'd like my family to be. Or was that all kind of shut down? Yeah, it was shut down. I don't think I even thought about the future. I mean, I in a lot of ways, I thought I'm probably going to live with my family for the rest right. of my life. And, and I have great family. And I know there's probably people listening to this that, that are in that situation. But I did not think I would go to college. I didn't think I would be able to you know, get married, have kids. I mean, that was not even that wasn't even a possibility for me. It was like, I really had this idea that there was me and then there was the rest of the world. And I was living sort of, I thought of everything in terms of other people and what would normal people do and just saw myself as completely other from everybody else. Wow. Wow. That's so hard. It's so hard. So how you eventually, you did all this exercise, your, your, your legs and arms were strengthened. How did you come out of all that hospital stay you know, would you say 10 years you lived in the hospital? Yeah. Um, until I was 10, it was probably five out of my 10 years. Okay. Eventually, though, you did come to know the Lord. Like, how did you yeah. make that transition from shutdown, no hope, to, wow, no, I know Jesus now? 
Yeah. Well, it was kind of interesting because when I was in high school, I got involved in FCA, which is Fellowship of Christian okay, Athletes. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, I went to fellowship with the athletes because I was certainly not a Christian but or an athlete. <laughs> but that worked out pretty well for me for a while. I was there to talk about boys. I mean, and a friend of mine and I were there. We sat in the back. All we wanted to do was talk about who was cute and who was there. <laughs> and then she went away on a retreat. I still remember it. And she came back and she said, God is real. And I remember thinking, oh, no, you you can't be serious. Like, she wanted to talk to me about God. And, I mean, anybody who's listening to this, if you, before you came to Christ, or maybe if you don't know the Lord, you're like, yeah, there's people that keep bothering me. Maybe they asked you to listen to the podcast. I don't know. But it just feels like they're not going to stop. And that's how I felt with her. Like, she wouldn't stop. And so, finally, I went home one night, and I said, okay, God, if you're real, show me. And um, then I went to sleep and I woke up in the next, the next morning and I thought, I don't feel any different. Like God hasn't shown me anything. And then I pulled out this Bible that I had been given when I was confirmed in church, but wasn't a believer. Mm -hmm. Um, And I started asking God questions. And at one point I just said, you know, why, why did you let all of this happen? And I flipped open the Bible. I'd been flipping through, seeing random things, but I flipped open to John 9, where Jesus um, comes upon the blind man, and his disciples ask him, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus says, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the work of God would be displayed in his life. And that was the moment for me. Um that God was answering this question, but it was so funny because I had been asking the why, what have I done? Which is what the disciples were asking Jesus. Like, what did he do? What did his parents do? Whose fault is this? And Jesus answered with why, what is the purpose? Not whose fault is it, but Mm. does it have meaning? And that turned my question inside out. Like God was saying to me, I'm not answering whose fault it is. I'm answering why did it happen? And there is a purpose and I'm going to use it in your life. And that was incredible to think that the God of the scripture was really jumped off the pages and was sitting with me saying, I'm going to use your life. And so I knelt down by the side of my bed and committed my life to a God I didn't know, but I knew, knew me. So, okay, Vanita, I have a um, I have a daughter with disabilities, and um, I think that that has been the single most encouraging, un like her life and watching the way the Lord uses it. I go back to that over and over again. God is using your life; it is valuable, and we we're not the same people without having you like mm-hmm. and that's just so beautiful and I know so impactful for so many people well and it's wow. amazing that <laughs> you needed that exact passage and God said yes. I'm going to direct her fingers to open that bible to land on that page to say here I am I'm meeting you right here as a 16 year old girl and so I mean how incredibly kind of the Lord to to meet you there. It's amazing. Yeah. It, okay. I mean, it, it is. It's incredible. So, so I'm tracing this line. I'm going from this young baby who was a quadriplegic to 
all the way to the point in your story where you're now studying at the University of Virginia. <laughs> like you are, the Lord <laughs> moves you forward and life is not anything like what they thought your life or even you thought your life was going to be. So you end up studying at the University of Virginia um, and at Stanford. So how was your health during this time? What was that like? And now you're a Christian studying before you were just Vanitha going through life, but now you're a Christian studying. How was that? And then like to follow that up, did you see this studying producing a work for you to do? Um, well, studying, yeah, I I loved going to college. I didn't think I could ever go away from home. So that was a mm, big deal. Like yes. my family lived in Raleigh mm. and for me to go out of state was huge. But I thought if I can't do this, if I don't do it now, I'll probably think I can never live very far away. So I did it, terrified. Uh, and it was amazing to see, and I have all these stories about how God provided, like unbelievably, I can't walk up steps without a railing and never have been able to, um, even when I was um, at my most physically fit, which was when I was in college, actually. And I remember there's one class that had no railing in front of it and a ton of steps. And every day before class, I would have to ask somebody to help me, which is a pretty humbling thing, but I got to know people. But one day it was pouring rain and there was no one there. And I stood in front of that class and I said, God, you promised to take care of me. I need you to, to get me up these steps. And I mean, there was nobody. And this person like comes out of nowhere with a big umbrella, helps me up the steps. I didn't even have to ask. I mean, they just said, can I help you up the steps? And they walked away right after that. Never saw them before. And I thought, God, God provides like, yeah, incredibly. That's yes. an angel. I'm like, do you think that was an yeah. angel? Wow, I, I do. I mean, wow. I don't know what, whether God used a person or an angel, but God provided in that moment. Wow. Goodness. In a way that I will never forget that moment. And it, the weirdest thing, the more, I mean, I think it was more angelic in that nobody has ever helped me up steps like that before. Like there's a certain art to helping people up steps, like knowing what their balance is. And often people will pull my arm and I'm like, oh, I can't, I can't that's not helpful. <laughs> but this was like incredibly helpful. And so wow. I thought, wow, you know, and whether it's a person and God just showed them how to do that, I don't know. But it it just reminded me like, wow, God God does meet us hmm. when we need him. Goodness gracious. And, um, so beautiful. So God God provided, but I was pretty physically strong at that time. So college and then Boston and then grad school, like I walked to work when I was in Boston. Um, I lived downtown, walked all around um, the grounds at Virginia, did not have any problems. So that was pretty amazing. And I felt like my life was going to be pretty physically normal. I was an artist. I love to paint. I love to cook. Uh, so wow. I would say for most people, I've always had a pretty pronounced limp, but in general, I looked, my life looked kind of like everybody else's life. And that's sort of what I expected it would be after that. Right. So what did you study while you were there? Um, I studied business. So I studied business at Virginia, um, worked in banking for four years at Bank of Boston okay. and realized uh, I didn't really love numbers and money. And maybe <laughs> I want, uh, maybe I shouldn't be handling other people's money. But I just want that. So, um, but I wanted to go into marketing because I really liked that. So then I went to, to grad school um, and got my MBA. Okay. Wow. Okay. And okay. at some point you married, you began to have children. Um, 
you have two daughters with us now, but you know, you've suffered some losses of, of children um, along the way. And would you um, share with us about, especially your son, Paul? Yeah. So married um, a classmate from um, grad school and moved to North Carolina. I'd been working and kept working and had one daughter, had actually three miscarriages after Mm -hmm. that. Well, one miscarriage, then my daughter, two miscarriages, then was pregnant um, with son Paul and found out he had a hypoplastic left heart, which means he had half a heart when he was born. We needed to have surgery at birth. And the surgery went well, though. And so we thought he was out of the woods, doing wonderfully, brought him home. But then when he was um, almost two months old, took him in for a regular checkup and his doctor was not there. So there was a substitute. And he looked at Paul and said, oh, my word, he's doing great. Uh, He doesn't need all the medicine. And we were giving him medicine like around the clock in these little syringes and, you know, middle of the night. I mean, just tons of different medicines. And he said, oh, you don't need those anymore. And he said, you're fine. And so we didn't refill the prescriptions. We just kind of moved on. I mean, he he just left a few prescriptions, maybe one or two. And I ended up calling my friend who had, who was a pediatric cardiologist who knew Paul's situation and telling him what how great that was. And he said, uh, that guy may not know what he's doing. So that sort of put this sense of dread in me. So I called the doctor back, but nobody answered. It was the weekend. And I thought, oh, it'll be fine. I'll fix it on Monday. But Sunday night, got up in the middle of the night, nursed Paul, and he screamed and went limp in in my husband Dave's arms. And so we called 911 and went to the hospital. And I remember um, I had to stay home with my daughter, Gahiti, at the time. And I called John in the middle of the night. It was 3 a.m. And I said, what do I do? Like you told me, you know, he should have been on that medicine. Like, what do I tell them when we get to the hospital? And John kept saying, I'm so sorry. That's all he said is, I'm so sorry. And I remember saying, I I want more than I'm sorry. Tell me what to do. But he didn't tell me anything. And so I hung up the phone and I remember getting on my knees and begging God to save the life of my son. I just said, I'll do anything. Like, don't take him. And then a friend came to um, stay with Katie and um, went to the hospital and they told me Paul was dead. And that was this like kick in the gut. Like, how Mm -hmm. can God do this? Like, how can you beg God and feel like you're faithful? And I remember I was teaching Bible study at the time and you kind of feel like, you do the right stuff and God's going to kind of come through so that life isn't going to be quite as hard as it is for everybody else. And if you beg God, then maybe you're not get, your nightmares are not going to come true. And, and that was just this moment for me, like faith didn't seem to add up to the way I thought it should be. But well, I do have to say right after Paul died, sort of this adrenaline, Holy Spirit combination kicks in. And you're able to go through and do the things you have to do. So planned a funeral, spoke at Paul's funeral, said God never makes a mistake and really believed it, like thought God is carrying me through this. God is going to use it. But then months later, honestly, weeks later, days later, I wanted to pull it all back because I thought God has made a mistake. And how could this happen to someone who was faithful? And there was this sense of, does God even care? Does God even hear? And so sort of pulling away from God and I I didn't walk away. I didn't turn away, 
but I would say I leaned away, and mm-hmm. meaning I didn't want to look at God anymore. I didn't, I didn't want to see his face. I didn't want to seek his face. I just wanted to be there saying, yeah, maybe I'm still a believer, but I don't know you now, and I don't know if I want to. And that went on for a while until one day I was in the car just desperate, like so much, like, I don't care if I live or die and just called out to God and God answered me sort of in this way that God answered me when I said, if you're real, show me what is the purpose to my pain. God showed up and his presence filled my car in a way that I cannot describe, but there was this joy that You don't have months after your son dies. There was a joy that was only Jesus Mm. that filled my car, that filled my heart. And to this day, that moment marks my life of, I understand how you can have joy and sorrow. And I can understand how heaven can be this unbelievably blissful place because I was sort of transported for, I don't know if it was five minutes or one hour. I don't even know how long it was. But I know there was this sense of God that um, he was with me and he would never leave me. Benita, how did this loss affect your marriage? Like how were things, because these types of things can pull you apart or draw you into each other. Yeah, it it did neither, actually. We both grieved differently, mm-hmm. but... I think we understood each other's grief. I wanted to talk about it, to process it, to paint. I used to be a painter. I painted dishes. I painted pictures. I did all kinds of grieving sort of processing while I was doing something. And um, my husband was probably less um, vocal, verbal about it, but processed it as well. Um, It was an interesting time because... My husband had actually had an affair the year before, two years before Paul died. Mm-hmm. So we had just started putting our marriage back together, which is why I was so like, God, how could you do this? Like, we're still mm-hmm. trying to figure this out. Um, but God was so gracious to us in that we we really grieved differently, but our marriage stayed strong. It, it became stronger after his affair, feeling like wow, we have to talk about everything because everything's on the table now. We can't assume anything. And and so that was good for us. It taught me about forgiveness, which I never really thought I could forgive (laughs) something like that. And honestly, I can't, but God can. And so that was like this kind of wild time in my life um, as we walked through that sort of processing those things. Vanessa, Vanessa, after... um, so I hear you. What you're sharing is the loss of a child, a marriage that has suffered some, like just infidelity or just some hard hits, and uh, your own personal story that even prior to all this had its own mountains to climb in your faith. For our listeners who may deal with some very similar things with either the loss of a child or um, divorce or infidelity and all those things, what would you tell them now on the other side of it that you wish you'd known then? Mm, I think I wish I had known that God would walk me through the unknown. 
Because at the time, there's all these questions like, how am I going to make it? What am I going to do? Especially with marriage stuff, like you feel like I I will not be on the other side of this. And and actually with losing a child, I mean, you just think I will not laugh again. I will not Mm. be on the other side of this. And just knowing like you may not have light to see the whole path, but he'll give you light for the next step. And that's all you need because he's going to hold your hand. And I I wish I had had that confidence because there was a lot of moments of fear. Like what is it and what else is going to happen and will I make it through? And just trusting, wow, you will. God is going to hold your hand because he has been to tomorrow and he's giving what you need today to face it. And so when you, when your husband you know, you face the infidelity, you lost Paul, you know, your marriage didn't resurrect as well as you had hoped, right? It eventually ended in divorce. Um, In that moment, you know, you're facing all these fears. Were you thinking, oh my gosh, I've got to go back to work? Are you, like, how did God provide for you right after that hit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So my, um, just for listeners, so uh, six years, um, in, well, actually 12 years after Paul died, um, my uh, ex-husband came home and told me he was leaving for someone else. So he moved out, moved to another state. And I was raising two adolescent daughters. So life just, like, the rug was pulled out from under me. And I had really thought we had a good marriage because we had been through so much together and had, like, yeah. from his first affair, like, 14 years of a good marriage. So that was shocking in and of itself. Um, But yeah, I'm worried about what was the future going to look like financially, just with my children as a single parent. Um, Thankfully, my ex-husband, who I am still friends with, believe it or not, um, by God's grace, he committed to taking care of us and he actually did it. Like I know a lot of people say that, um, but they don't. But he, Mm he, committed to do that. And he did. So mm-hmm. I was provided for, even though I wasn't sure if I'd have to go back to work well, and wondered about that. Um, uh, I didn't need to, I mean, I do work as a writer, but anybody who is a writer knows you often that is not going to pay all the bills. So, right. <laughs> sometimes it does. <laughs> well, how did you get to the point of, um, you and your husband are divorced, and now you're in this place where you're friends with him. How did that occur, and how long did that take? <laughs> um, we, yeah, I would say right when we were going through the really messy, hard parts, we were not friends. But I learned the importance of not holding on to bitterness and forgiving, um, actually, after his first affair, because it changed my life. Yeah. realizing I don't want to be bitter. And oh, I asked God yes. every single day, literally, it was in my journal. Don't let me be bitter. Don't let me be bitter. Let me do what I need to do so that I am not better. And you need to do this through me. Wow. And so it was a lot of like, don't keep rehearsing what's been done to you because hmm. that's not going to get you anywhere. It's releasing that bitterness to God and saying, God, fill me with you, your spirit. Help me think about what is good and honorable and pure because it's so easy for us to just rehearse the way people have hurt us. And then that feels good at the time because you feel like, yeah, I'm a pretty good person, but it's like poison every time you do it. And so, but you don't realize it. And so I think that's really how God did that. So soon after the divorce, we were friends and we are still friends. I'm very close to his parents. And 
So, and that has been a gift from God because I think when you hold on to bitterness, it's like pouring poison into a wound and it never heals. So like my first book is The Scars That Have Shaped Me because scars mean a wound has healed. But when it doesn't heal is when it could kill you. Like that's when it gets infected and it goes to your entire body. And I think that's what bitterness does. It doesn't just stay the hurt. It affects everything. Had you seen um, someone who was bitter or how did you know to even in that moment of that first infidelity, like, how did you know God protect me from this? Because I think if it were me, I would just full on, I would feel so justified in it. I'm rehearsing all those things. So how did you even know or have the warning to pray against that in such a way that actually resulted in God answering your prayer, you know? Well, it was interesting because my first, uh, our first marriage counselor, this is after the first affair, and I was still like dealing with it. He said, um, have you considered forgiveness? And I was like, what? I mean, I was really shocked by it and really annoyed, honestly. And like, why should I do that? I'm going to hold on to this forever. And he just kind of kept talking to me about the biblical basis for forgiveness. It's not... Mm, it's because Christ forgave us. And so, and it is very different from reconciliation or restoration, which okay. really does require repentance. We don't go back into a relationship without repentance. Um, but to not hold bitterness is really a unilateral thing with us and God. And so I um, saw how God changed me through that. So I didn't want that to happen the second time. I didn't want to be bitter. And I've also met people where you talk to them about their ex-husband. And I mean, the minute you bring up their name, they have a million things they've done to them. And there's not a lot of joy in their lives because of that. I I had just noticed that with people that if they're really quick to tell you what happened in in their situation, which I get, I mean, I am not condemning people who do that, but I saw that it would really impact them and they wouldn't seem as joyful in their current lives if they could recollect it in a second. Sure. No, that makes sense. And so it's wild that, I mean, God has just carried you through all of this. Ultimately, now you have remarried. How did you see God's hand in bringing that all about? Yeah, incredible. My um, my husband, Joel, is amazing. Um, and it's fun because his name, Joel, is one of my favorite scriptures. Joel 2.25 says, I will restore the years the locust has eaten. Wow. And God has done That's that beautiful. in Joel. I mean, he is just, he's amazing. And, you know, it's funny for anybody out there with a disability, you always think, is anybody going to want to marry me with a disability? I mean, I I now am much more disabled than I was when I met my my first husband. And so I was like, ah. Oh. Just, just very conscious about all that, knowing that my um, my husband was signing up for a lot, which we can talk about in a minute. Um, but I remember when I said to him, uh, I don't even want to walk down the aisle because I hate the way I walk. My limp is even more pronounced. And he said, I love the way you walk. And I loved it from the beginning. And I thought, okay, oh, who wow. says that? Like, it, God just, yeah, has been so gracious to me in giving me Joel. Yeah. Wow. You know, the thing about a journey through life is that sometimes people can see the Instagram version of it and not recognize the true depths of it. So where I hear you on this other side and this, I mean, it just sounds like such a sweet, first of all, Joel sounds like such a sweet gift. (laughs) Um, So praise God for that. But 
many will hear how far you've come and think, okay, so she's passed all of her things. And so now life is good and she's just living life. But even though you have endured a lot and you have walked closely with God and a thing you said earlier was good, you think that I'm doing all the right things, I'm being faithful, so nothing else should happen. But tell us now about your current health status and things that you're dealing with and even some of the further loss that you've experienced. Yeah. So I have post-polio syndrome, which um, you probably haven't heard of. Mm -hmm. I hadn't heard about it until I was diagnosed with it. But basically, you know, I said I was a quadriplegic when I um, first got polio. And then all of a sudden I was was able to sit up and do things. And then I had all these surgeries and exercise but what happened was these, what they call them like secondary motor neurons sprout up after the initial ones die, but they have an, a limited life. They're not unlimited. Like, you know, when you go to the gym and you exercise, like your body gets stronger and you break mm-hmm. down those fibers and it's stronger. But with post-polio, basically that's not happening. And so the more I do, the weaker I get. So it was basically like my, these secondary motor neurons are given our come with a certain amount of energy and they say it's like money in a bank and everything I do is making a withdrawal, but they didn't know that years ago. Mm. So I walked to work, I exercised every day. So I made all these withdrawals and basically I found out when I was diagnosed, like one day you're, you're going to go backwards. And like the bottom line for me is going back as far as being a quadriplegic. So especially with my arms, cause I, I haven't had any surgeries on my arms. I have had a few on my hands, but, um, and my arms are really weak. They're much weaker than my legs. So I see that now in that, like, I can't, there's a lot of things I can't do because my arms are weak. I really, really struggle with my hand. Um, and so my husband does a lot for me, helps me get dressed, helps me do all those things. And I walk a little bit, but I also use a wheelchair a lot. So, you know, my life went from walking to work, having a pretty normal life to, to knowing that one day I'll be a quadriplegic. And where does the joy in that moment, where does the joy in your day-to-day come in? The joy comes in, in knowing Jesus. Like there, you know, just like that moment in the car when God filled my car in the midst of deep sorrow. There is this joy for me, really. I mean, it sounds so trite, but when I get up in the morning and I open my Bible and God speaks to me through his word, I have joy and I sense that Jesus is with me. And that is pretty incredible. It's it's like this joy that you can't explain and it has nothing yes. to do with what is going on around you in your current life. It has to do with Jesus. And so that never changes. Uh, Recently, I have been teaching, uh, uh, doing this talk on um, leadership. And part of the leadership talk is your people learning their own story. You know, if everybody's a leader, then part of who you are affects the type of leadership, which then that leadership, that is your work, right? Your, Your story impacts your work. And this conversation is just having me think through how the work that you produce for us to enjoy, for the benefit, has all bled from this story that you have that no one else could tell. No one else could tell this story and how valuable this conversation is in when we're talking about work, right? This is a podcast about work. But my goodness, like the backstory to the work you produced for us is just incredible. And yeah, 
when Courtney said she's so honored to have you, I'm like, right, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> well, Vanita, as you look back on your life, and even now, you know, all the broad, all, the big story of your life, what God has brought you through, but even now the work you're doing as a writer and a speaker, um, you're recording, I saw you recording videos for Lifeway for your upcoming uh, deal with them. And so could you have ever imagined I mean, I know the answer, but could you have ever imagined that this would be what God, the call that God would have on your life? Um, and then I feel like you've just continually just continued to submit to him, submit, submit. Okay, this is your will. And you just kept moving forward in faith. Just chat about that a little bit, how you've thought through all that. Yeah, um, I never ever thought I would be a writer. Honestly, you know, like people say, oh, you know, in school people said, oh, you should be a writer. Nobody ever said that to me. So nobody ever said you should be a speaker. They were like, yeah, you should be good behind the desk. So um, that, this has been just a kind of a wild ride for me. And, you know, some people say they are writers who write about different things. I'm a sufferer and I happen to write about that. Yeah. Wow. Like, that's that's sort of and and I don't say that in a negative way, but it's like I am somebody who has met Jesus in suffering, and that is all that I write about, um, and and forgiveness, I guess, because those are the ways God's changed me. And I would say to everybody who's listening, God is writing something in your story. That the, you know, there's the pain in our stories are often the most beautiful things God is writing in us. Um, that's. Often the place where we connect with people, where we have the most influence and ministry is really born out of the pain in our lives, I find, and not the things that we think we're good at, you know, uh, at least for me. And so I find that God is using it in so many incredible, surprising ways that have nothing to do with me, but all, they all have to do with God. Um, And that, yeah, I, I, I would have thought I was going to be in business or be an artist when I was young. I loved to paint, used to sell paintings, but my parents were like, no, you can't go to art school. You need to go to, you know, (laughs) regular college, which I did. And I'm thankful for my experiences there and then thought I'm going to be in business. And yet God each time just said, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm writing your story and I'm changing your path from the one that you expect. Vanessa, how do your girls view you? Like, are you their hero? <laughs> like, how has, I mean, I just imagine if you were my mom, you, you know, like, it's got to well, be beautiful. Yeah, you have to ask them that. But I am very close to them, which has been an amazing gift because there were years when uh, I was not close to them and they were not close to me, you know, and they were really, really tough times. But I was, yeah, I have a good relationship with them, which I'm very, very thankful for. I love that. I feel like just as you were wrapping up there, I kept, I went back in my mind to that John chapter nine about how yes. the Lord was going to use this for his purposes. And it's beautiful to see that unfold. I think that's partly why your story is so compelling is because we get to see the backdrop almost. I mean, we all are, you know, in our own lives, living our own sufferings in some way. And we hope, okay, God, you still love me, right? God, you're still there, right? And I feel like all along your story, it's like God is invading, whether it's that moment in your car, whether it's turning that page in your Bible, or I'm going to believe it's that angel with the umbrella, you know, carrying you up. It's it's almost, we get to, it's almost a faith made sight in a way um, we get to see through your story. And I feel like that's why it's so beautiful. It's so encouraging to us because it 
spurs me on to say, no, God is in my life. He is working. I might not see it, but he's there. He hasn't left me. And guess what? He's working this out. And, um, and he's writing my story, just like we already mentioned, but, um, it's, it's, I'm so, so glad to chat with you today. It's been so encouraging to me. Close. What is one piece of advice you would leave with women who want to honor God through their vocational calling, especially as God is writing this story out for them that they've never imagined? perhaps yeah. using suffering and loss and forgiveness? Yeah. Well, I would say trust God, that he is mm. writing a good, beautiful story with your life. And mm. it's not over yet. Yeah. And you may be just in the middle, mm. and this may be the darkest place, and you mm. may not see a little light, but just trust God that he is in it. And one day you will see it. One day mm-hmm. in heaven, you'll see all of the things, but now you have his presence. And I would say like, lean into that. Like, I think we all say, yeah, God's love feels academic at times. Like we know God so loved the world and we think, but does God really love me? Mm-hmm. And I would say that people who are in a dark place in their story, ask God for signs of his love and open your eyes to see them. Because I think God is is telling us he loves us. But we are often not paying any attention. And so that is one thing that has really changed my faith is paying attention. Like when mm-hmm. you read a scripture and it resonates with you, like that is God's God showing you that he loves you. Or you have a conversation or listen to something that you sense in your spirit, like, wow, this is for me. That is God speaking to you through that. And so just paying attention that God is using those things and trusting he is reshaping you as you lean into him, into some something and someone that will one day, um, really you'll see it and you will really give glory to God for it. Amen. Thank you. Yes. That's like mic drop, right? Like what do you know, say after like, that? I follow that up. Right. Yes, that is so beautiful, Vanitha. I'm sure that this um, interview is going to bless many. The moment I spent with you at TGC, I just knew, wow, this is a special woman and God is using her and it's beautiful to be in your orbit, to be able to be in your space. You sense the Lord at work. And so thank you for spending time with us. I have loved this conversation. This has been so much fun. Listeners, we know you'll be encouraged and check out Vanitha's work coming out May of 2023 at vanitha.com, correct? Yes. Okay. Thank you. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to check out our website at womenwork.com. Net for today's show notes. There will be more information about today's conversation there. And please take a minute to subscribe to our show and also give us a rating and review so more listeners can find us. And with that, we hope you've been inspired to more confidently step into your God-given calling and view your work as meaningful to the kingdom of God. See you next time, friends.